this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. We're going to talk about expectations matter. You know, there's going to be something in this message for every one of you. Whether you are very young or whether you're older, there is something special that God is going to say to you in this message. And this message isn't just for those who are already established in a journey of faith and strong in their Christianity. You may be here this morning because somebody placed an obligation on you or really drug you here. In fact, maybe you don't even have a journey of faith yet or you're wondering what this is all about. That's okay. We want to just take those expectations off of you this morning and help you to realize that something this morning will speak to you and help you enjoy life better. It's okay. It's okay to be where you are. We remove those expectations. So let's go into God's Word this morning and take a look at what, what the writer of Psalms says in Psalm 39 about expectation. Turn with me. Psalm 39 and verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait for and expect? My hope and expectation are in you. My hope and my expectation are in you. Where should our hope be? Where should I ex- our expectations be? Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? What do you have for me? Well, I'm not sure, but this I know. My faith and my expectation, my hope is in you. I have news for you this morning. Nina and I are expecting. <laughs> now, for some of you, you immediately thought, no. <laughs> That's not possible. (laughs) Being that they're a couple of age, way past the age of child. Well, actually, we're not, but... No. Yes, in Nina's heart and mind, we are. And physically, I became an it many years ago. So that's taken care of. That's not going to happen. But we are expecting God to move in our lives. We are expecting God to answer our prayers. We are expecting that the things that we have prayed for, God has listened, He has heard, and He's moving on our behalf to bring them to pass. Every day, Nina and I are living in that place of expecting great things from God. You know, your expectations are actually capable of shaping reality. If you don't believe me, Just think about the placebo effect. You've all heard of this. A medication is given in either a controlled environment or some situation where somebody comes into the doctor's office and complains about perhaps sleepless nights and how they've they've had insomnia and they've tried everything and nothing's curing it. And the doctor gives them this little white pill. It has no brand on it. It's otherwise just plain and nondescript and says, here, take two of these before you go to bed tonight. 
And lo and behold, they have the most wonderful night of rest they've had in years. And there was nothing in the pill. It was sugar. The placebo effect. Because our minds are capable, based on our expectations in life, of completely shaping our reality. Let me show you a couple of pictures, Jeff, if you'd help me here. First, this is the God if you're out there. And how many of us are in that state of expectation? And then we have the keep your fingers crossed. Okay, Some of us are in that phase of expectation. And then we have, I'm a hoping and I'm a praying something good will happen. <laughs> Some of you may find yourself there this morning. And what about the what if? We're, we're dreamers. We imagine what it might be like if but we're really not seeing it happen. And then I love this one. This is the child who with childlike expectation has placed all their confidence, their hope in God. That's exactly what we're to be. I don't know how many of you enjoy a glass of wine with a meal occasionally. I do. In fact, I had some while I was gone. You know, it didn't occur to me that maybe that's why we were challenged when we were trying to make some of those decisions in Tucson with our network project. (laughs) And by the way, thank you everyone for your prayers. We we came up against some very difficult walls during this uh, computer networking uh, project out in Tucson where we were installing new network components for one of our missionaries and their organization. Uh, But we overcame them. God, God gave wisdom and and uh, the phone calls that were necessary to make those happen, God put it together, we overcame, and everything's operating beautifully. And no, it was not the wine (laughs) that caused any of it. But for those of you that are non-drinkers, you're you're in a place uh, where where your faith doesn't allow for that, or your your moral convictions say absolutely not, uh, I honor that, Uh, I stand with you in that, and I appreciate that. Uh, others of us have a, a freedom where we don't believe that the scripture says that, that uh, alcohol is evil or sinful, but that being drunk with al- alcohol is actually forbidden. So it's occurred to me that the differences often in a good glass of wine may have nothing to do with its expense. In fact, a study was done with a group of individuals who fancied themselves connoisseurs of good-tasting wine, where bottles of $10 wine were purchased and bottles all the way up through and up to $60 and $70 a bottle, which is not an expensive bottle of wine, but as you understand, there's a difference between a $10 bottle of wine and a $70 bottle of wine. And uh, the individuals were blindfolded and the labels were taken off of the bottles so that they could not tell. And they had to then rate the wine simply by taste. And while the more expensive wines did regularly rate high, so did many of the non-expensive wines rated just as highly. And isn't that interesting? That the expectation, when it kicks in, fools us as to the reality that we're in. 
If I'm blinded to that expectation, then all sorts of things may happen. But oftentimes, the perception that a wine is good or not is simply based on how much you paid for the bottle. When in truth, much of that is just psychological for us. I want to engage you for just a moment in an experiment that tells us or demonstrates this very thing. I'm going to need you if you're going to participate. And I'd like for you to, you don't have to, but if, if you're going to participate with me in this a little demonstration, I'd like you to set your books, your Bibles down, your, your belongings, if you could just set them down and stand. And I'd like to illustrate the point that your expectations absolutely bend or shape reality. You ready? Now, strike a Superman pose. All right, now hold it there. I mean, come on, get the hands on the hip, the legs spread, stick the chest out, lift your head, strike that Superman pose. Now hold it. All right, have a seat. Don't you feel better? Don't you feel just a little bit better than you did before you did that? See, there's something in how we dress, something in the price in what we buy, something even in our posture that bends reality. It's just, it's just a truth. And see, the sad thing is, is that we're trained to accept reality as real, authoritative, and final. And oftentimes, it's not. It can be changed. It can completely be altered. We must train ourselves to wonder about our expectations and to question our assumptions. And to show you somebody who did just that, turn to Matthew's Gospel, please, with me. And chapter 14. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 14. Now look with me. You know the story well. It begins in verse 20. It doesn't begin in verse 28, but that's where I will start. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So you know the story how that the disciples had gone ahead of Jesus. Late in the evening, he said, you guys go ahead, take the boat, go across. I'll meet you on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus remained on the shore. They launched out in a boat. They got out in the middle of the ocean or the sea, as it were, and a, a tremendous storm arose, and it threatened not only the boat, but their very lives. Then Jesus came to them walking on the water. And at a certain point when he was within sight, Peter saw him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out. Now consider this. <laughs> Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now for Peter to get out of the boat, walk on the water and come to Jesus, Jesus must have been at least some distance away from that boat. It wasn't like he was just out with one foot one leg test in the water and Jesus was like right there I mean Peter 
got out of the boat and walked on the water a ways towards Jesus. How far towards Jesus? Close enough that he was within arm's length. Keep reading. But when Peter saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Don't you find it interesting? <laughs> that in that same situation, we would have coddled and we would have held and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I know you're fearful and I, I, I know that, oh, your little spirit, just must, you must have been so afraid that you, you begin to sink there. Oh, my, I'm sorry I called you out of that boat prematurely when you didn't have the faith to do it. Peter. I said, Peter, oh, you have little faith. I mean, Peter's soaking wet, or at least he's, he's wet. He's a lot wetter than when he got out of the boat, all right? He began to sink. Jesus lifted him out of the water. He's dripping with water. He's shaken. He's full of fear. And Jesus rebukes him. See, even our expectation of how God communicates with us needs to be adjusted according to the word of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord rebukes us regarding our faith. Sometimes he rebukes us regarding our faithlessness. He rebuked Peter and said, Peter, why did you doubt? Now, excuse me, but where in the text is it said Peter doubted? Let's read it again, verse 29. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and was afraid, he began to sink and he cried out. Where does it say that Peter doubted in that? But when he saw the wind, when he took his eyes off of the word and began to look at his circumstances, he got into fear. His expectation of walking on the water changed and he began to sink. Your expectation can shape, absolutely shape, your reality it will every time we need to question our assumptions we need to wonder about our expectations and measure them with the word of god i will never forget how that when we were growing as a church this was in another church that we had planted. Nina and I planted this back in 1982. It was called the Cathedral of Praise, and we pastored that church for some 13 to 14 years. About two years into that young church, we began to pursue a building. At that time, the building was for rent, but the owner did not want to rent it to us. Furthermore, the city of North Glen would not allow us to move into it. They didn't want to lose the tax revenue. They didn't want a church in that location. But we just believed that God was saying to us, that is your new home. And so we pursued it. Both the city and the owner continued to tell us no. At a certain point, I approached the owner, sitting in his office, and said, Look, I realize that you've told us no, but would you just give me the keys just for 24, 48 hours so that we could go in and just look around? Well, he granted that request and we got the keys. And I and several individuals went over to that building and with a sack load of tape, um, 
two-inch, three-inch masking tape. I mean, rolls of it. We masked off on the floor every office, every kid's room, the nurseries, two sides, because we had already had an architect draw it all out. We masked off the sanctuary and where it was going to go and even the platform and how wide it was. We did it all with masking tape. Now some of you are in this room and may remember that event. And some of you in this room remember that eventually we did get that building and we built every wall and every stud went in exactly to the measurements of that tape on that floor. See, we raised our expectation to believe against hope even, against the owner saying they didn't want us in there. It would never happen, the city told us. And yet God granted us that building. Why? Because expectation is the seedbed for faith. So while we're trained to accept reality as real, while we're trained to accept reality as final, I submit to you that your expectations of God based on his word can reshape what others are telling you is real. And you can experience a whole different kind of life. Let's go back to the garden. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and said, All of this is for you. Enjoy it. All the animals, all the trees, the jewels, the running rivers, everything. The beautiful foliage, the gorgeous layout. I've created it and I give it to you. Enjoy it. But there's one boundary that I do not want you to cross. See that tree? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not partake of that tree. Remember that? And you remember, of course, how the story goes. Satan came into that garden and he posed a question. Has God said, you shall not eat? And Eve rephrased it and said, no, God hasn't said we shall not eat of every tree of the garden, but of this tree, he says we can't. And then Satan spoke to her again and said, oh, he's, he's lying, I'm paraphrasing, he's lying to you. He knows that, the, that when you eat of that tree, you'll become like him, knowing good from evil. And the moment that Eve began to question that she did not already possess within herself everything that God wanted her to have. She stepped out of the presence of God. What is your expectation this morning? Is your expectation that you're trying to reach God? Or is your expectation that he's right here with us now? In fact, he dwells in us. And everything I need for life and godliness, he's already given me. I was recently at the gym and uh, in the men's room, locker room, 
and overheard an interesting conversation. I was in one of the stalls and overhearing the conversation of guys as it is. One guy said, I don't have arthritis, but I'm getting to that age where it's certainly where the possibility of it is real. Man number two spoke up. Yep, you got to start worrying about it. (laughs) And I thought, how fascinating. I had my phone with me, and so I, I literally typed that conversation word for word. I'm repeating it to you exactly as I heard it, word for word. Because I found it so fascinating of how we set expectations for failure. We expect to get old. We expect not to be able to do as much. We expect... Once we reach a certain age, boom, I'm going to begin to start to get sick in a different way. I'm going to begin to experience certain diseases. Why? Not because they're necessarily real or even my reality, but because I've reached a certain age now. And at that age, click, a master switch goes off, and God opens up a whole new world of disease and failure and problems in my life. So, I'm 60 now. There I am, 60. Well, you know what begins to happen at 60. Things deteriorate, your skin gets old, you can't walk, you need help down the stairs. Yes. And you set your, you literally set your expectations for that kind of lifestyle. And why? All you did was turn 60. (laughs) You say, yeah, wait till you get to be 60. Well, listen, I'm close, and I can tell you now at 55, I'm a whole lot more alive and living life with vigor. 50 is the new 30, and that's how I am enjoying it and living it. But listen, it's, it's not because the reality of 55 hasn't set in in certain ways. It's because I refuse to believe the lie that reality is final and that reality is going to determine either my self worth or my destination. And so I keep my body strong, I work out, I do eat a certain way, but I combine with all of that my faith, my faith and my hope, we read it in our text, is in him. Lord, you are the center of my expectation, and my strength is not abated, my eyesight will not fail. I really believe that it's our lack of attention to our expectations that helps give expectations this effect, this aura of permanence, of inevitability. It's, it's got to happen. It's, life is going to be that way for you because. And it's expectations that actually create that aura. Now, we do not have to live there. There was a study of athletes done where the researchers gave every subject a personality questionnaire and then randomly gave some of them false feedback that their answers indicated that they were the sort of person who thrives under pressure. When it came time to compete, the athletes told they would likely do better under pressure did so. And why? Because, see, it's a scriptural principle. The definition of hope in the Bible, unlike the pictures we showed you, is not just twiddling your thumbs waiting for life to happen to you, not just looking up 
hoping God somehow is real, not crossing your fingers, praying that maybe God will come through. No, Bible hope is defined as a confident expectation. I'm saying literally in the original language in which the New Testament was written, the word hope means a confident expectation. I'm going to get a bunch of t-shirts made. And they're not going to have an S on them. They're going to have a big E. Expectation. Because your expectations in life will bend and shape your reality. And if your expectation is centered in the Father, if your expectation is centered in His Word, then His Word can supersede every reality and bring to you Heaven's reality. Look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. First part of verse 7. Look at it. It'll be on the screen behind me. And our hope for you, our joyful and confident expectation of good for you is ever unwavering. It's assured. It's unshaken. This is our confident expectation that you're going to live a good life. That, that you're not going to live a wavering life, but you're going to live in steadiness. In fact, the Bible says that you and I, even when we do get into difficult circumstances, should expect God to deliver us, Pastor Don. We shouldn't stew in that, that, that situation. Situations come. Heartaches come to Christians too. How many of you know that? Christians aren't, aren't um, isolated from bad experiences or from hard times. But Paul's testimony was, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now, whether or not you get delivered from those circumstances has to do with your expectation. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. For it is he who rescued and saved us from such a perilous death. And he will still rescue and save us. In and on him we have set our hope, our joyful and confident expectation that he will deliver us from danger and destruction and draw us to himself. You know what your number one expectation should be every morning when you wake up and slide those feet out of, from underneath those sheets and swing them over the bed and sit on the edge of the bed wondering, dear Lord, what age am I? Have you ever done that? You, you get those legs over the bed. That might take a while. And then you're sitting there and you're sitting up and your body is just speaking to you. Have any of you ever woke up and your body's speaking to you? Now, see, you might start your morning that way, but it doesn't have to go on all day that way. Because the Lord will deliver you. I mean your muscles. He'll deliver your flesh, your bones, your sinews. Your little synaptic things, what are they called? He'll deliver every part of you. But you've got to set your expectation properly. Paul said our expectation, our joyful, confident expectation is that he will deliver us and draw us to himself. Father, I thank you today. The rest of this day, I am going to live in a place 
of being drawn towards you. I'm going to live in an expectation of being intimate in fellowship with you all day. That's how your day begins. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians. See, our confidence in proclaiming the good news to others comes from the expectation not that what we say is perfect, not that we're uh, an evangelist or that we're particularly articulate. You know, we're going to stumble over it and people are going to think we're funny. And we, We don't have to worry about that. Our confidence to share the good news comes from nothing that we are in and of ourselves. It comes from the fact that God will meet us in that moment and that God will honor his word and he will perform it even for the unbeliever because God loves them. God cares about everyone and he wants to do miracles even for the unbeliever. Believer, the non-Christ follower, God loves them as much as he loves me or you. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 comes into play. Since we have such glorious hope, such joyful and confident expectation, we speak very freely and openly and fearlessly. Your expectation of how life is designed for you matters. Wasn't it Joseph? You remember young Joseph? Brother of one of 12 children, brother to 11. Sold into slavery by his own family members. Do you remember Joseph? He said, the thing that was meant to destroy me and take me out actually provided me with a greater opportunity to trust God and place my hope and confidence in him. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about so that many people could be kept alive. Even when you are in the midst of of adverse circumstances you need to look them right in the face and say you know what even though I am in this trouble right now God is working this thing out for my good my expectation is in him he's turning this thing around and you know what devil he's even going to use these circumstances to bless others and give me a door of opportunity to lead others to Jesus Christ Woo, glory. George Parsons, pastor of the Eagles. I don't remember if it's Eagles Nest or Eagles. Uh, it's the church, Kenneth Copeland's church down in Texas. Somebody help me with that. Eagle, Eagle Mountain, Eagle Mountain Church. George Parsons, the pastor there. He said this, and I quote, Fear is expectation going in the wrong direction. End quote. Isn't that good? See, fear is simply expectation, but not expectation in God's word, but expectation going in the wrong direction. And I can turn that around. See, every day when I wake up, what I have to realize is that I'm pregnant. 
I'm pregnant with the seed of God's word. Life, godliness, health, financial prosperity, a sound marriage, good relationships, fullness of the fruit of the Spirit lives in me in seed form. I simply activate it by my expectations, my confident expectation in who he is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. You know why you don't make a practice of sinning? Because the seed of joy is so on the inside of you that you no longer find fun in sinning. It's not joyful to sin anymore. So you don't need to get all buried with guilt when you blow it, and make a mistake or sin. Remove the guilt. I mean, it's like, so what? Devil, you don't have any business in this. I blew it, yes, but that's none of your business. I'm not part of your family. I was delivered out of your kingdom, so shut your mouth. I'm taking my sin, and I'm going to my father with it. You have no business saying anything about what I just did or thought. Excuse me, you're out of here. And then come to the father and say, Father, oh man, I messed up. And you filled me with such joy and peace and patience and victory and faith and kindness and gentleness and goodness. I, I just receive. I just receive more abundantly from that seed that's in me. Thank you, Lord. And he strengthens us. That strength begins to flow. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Dear ones, God's word is his seed. I'm pregnant. Something's coming out of me. <laughs> and it's not sickness, and it's not disease, and it's not failure. And it's not, oh, woe is me. And it's not, oh, God, if you, my, th my fingers are crossed, I'm a hoping. No, it's thank you, Lord, for giving me life as you enjoy it. Thank you, Lord. You came not, you came not to steal, kill, and destroy. You said that's what the devil does. You came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that that's what I'm walking in. Hallelujah. In fact, Paul's testimony was this. Weakness is actually in my life. Here's, here's how Paul looked at every weakness that came his way. Every time he felt weak, every time he had a weak thought, every time his body was speaking to him and giving him trouble, here's, here's how Paul dealt with it. Body, mind, thought. In Jesus' name, you are actually an opportunity for greatness. You are actually an opportunity right now for me to convert you into a strength that's going to bring me greater victory, greater life, and going to see more people come to Christ because of your attack. That's how Paul looked at weakness. Don't believe me? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at it, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm really strong. (laughs) You can turn everything that presents itself as reality to you around and make it God's reality. You can make heaven your reality through your expectations. Now, we're going to return to this next week, God willing. And I'm going to talk to you about your focus. That what you focus on is what you will receive. But let me leave you with this thought. Faith can't operate on your behalf until you get your hope, your confident expectation in the right place. Faith can't operate for you And bring you all that God has designed. Unless you get your confident expectation in the right place. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Listen to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. See if your hope is in the wrong place. Then fear will indeed attract things to you but from the wrong direction. Hope and fear are the exact opposite of one another. You're either in confident expectation based on God and his word, or you're in fear based on Satan and his kingdom. And fear will draw towards you what you fear. But confident expectation in the Lord and in his promises will draw to you what his word promises. But faith is the thing that releases it. Faith is the actual substance of what you hope for. God doesn't want us to be dreamers. He wants us to be experiencers. God doesn't want you just to dream or cross your fingers and hope for good. He wants you to experience his life. He wants you to experience his power. He wants you to experience a healed body. He wants you to experience a great marriage. He wants you to experience children who are walking with the Lord. He wants us to have those things and faith brings them into this material world substance where we can enjoy them. But we've got to get our confidence right. We've got to get our hope placed properly. I've been working on my marriage. When's the last time you heard a pastor say that? Well, you know, guys, we might as well admit it. Because we all need to. And no matter how good your marriage is, it can be better. Amen. All the ladies said amen. (laughs) So I've been working on my marriage. And I learned something about expectation. I learned that in my earlier years, I had far too many. That I I, I had changed desire, which was good, into expectation, which was controlling. And I'm, I'm learning to lessen the expectation and go back to the desire and then just share and communicate those things in an atmosphere of freedom and joy. 
And you know what? It's working. I'd like to read to you the best birthday card that I got for my birthday. Being married to you is the most wonderful part of my life. In our life as husband and wife, we've shared so many smiles, felt so many tears, and seen a lot of dreams come true. While we've had our share of mishaps and worries, we've also had smiles, memories, and a thousand prayers answered. Whatever wonderful things tomorrow may bring, I want to share with you every footstep, heartbeat, experience, and moment. Happy birthday to my incredible, handsome, smart, no brilliant, humorous, bestest husband ever. I love you so much, Nina. Isn't that something? And on the flap, today I'm thinking of all the little things that keep us feeling loved, understood, and accepted. I'm thankful I can feel your hand in mine and still feel so safe. I can hear your voice and read the love in every word you say. And I can share my heart and fall in love with you all over again. You have my love forever. Now, it hasn't always been easy for her to say that. And a lot of it was my expectations. But you know what happened last night? We got into bed and we were just laying there. <laughs> TMI. <laughs> I would think as young as you are, you're going, yes, come on. Come on, share. <laughs> now, here's the beauty. See, that's, that's where the mind and the expectation might go. But, but, but listen, here, here's, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of, of what godly expectation can create. So, she just began to play with my hair touch my shoulder, stroke my, stroke my arm, just, just lovingly. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, like putting a, a baby to sleep, you know, just, just kind of petting. Petting. No, that's not the word. Petting. No, that's, it's, it wasn't petting. Stroking. No, that's not a good word either. No, we're, we're bearing, a, we're digging a hole. So help me out. You were being very kind to me in a very spiritual way. You were being very loving to me. All right. Let me bring this back now. We have to end. She was, be, she was being very kind and sweet and attentive uh, to, my, to my need just to lay there and, and be loved and be held and, and, you know, and not have to do anything else. And she finished, and I turned, and, and I began to do the same, just stroke her hair. And she loves to be just caressed on her arm real lightly like this. In fact, 
After, after a couple minutes of just doing that, she said, Uh-oh, I, I'm going to be snoring pretty soon. <laughs> and see, only we can admit that at our age. But see, what, what, happens, what happens in life is that we learn and we grow, and it's true of our faith as well, that as faith matures, we realize that our expectations can bend and shape our reality. And so where once we struggled and wanted to flee, now our expectations are creating a fresh new reality where we can't imagine living anywhere else. And I submit to you that that's exactly what your faith expectations in God will do. There are days where you want to run from Christianity and not participate anymore. I understand. Been there. Done that. It's okay. Hang on. You're going to make it. I submit to you that if you'll keep believing, if you'll keep adjusting your expectations with God's word, there'll be a new reality of faith come into your heart where you can't imagine ever leaving the face of Almighty God. Would you stand with me? Could we pray for just a moment? Join me. And Trish, if you would, let's bring that.